Greetings to each one in Jesus' name. I want to welcome all the visitors that are here. Before I get started, I'm going to have a little class time. I'd like for you to tell me what the seven wonders of the world are. Now, I know that seven wonders of the world has been changed throughout, and there's probably 50 or 100 by now, but when you think of the seven wonders of the world, natural, man-made, what do you think of? I know I gave you lots of time to prepare for this test. Huh? Niagara Falls. The Great Wall of China. Taj Mahal. Grand Canyon. The Pyramids of Egypt. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Parthenon. I don't know where that's at. I guess never heard of that one, so that's maybe why I didn't get it. But yeah, there we go. Um, yes, yes, yes. That is wonders. You know, I looked it up, and there's so many. I don't even know all these places, but a lot of them have been named. The Amazon, the rainforest is one of them, is actually a pretty wonder of the world, and there's, there's all kinds of them. I'd like to read a story to start out with. A group of students were asked to list the seven wonders of the world. In this particular class case, the following places were listed. Egypt's Great Pyramids, the Taj Mahal, the Grand Canyon, the Panama Canal, the Empire State Building, and this one here, I'm, I'm going to butcher up because I don't know how the pronunciation. St. Peter's Basilica and the Chinese Wall. So you got most of those in that list. There was one child who had not turned in her list. The teacher noted that she had not finished and asked, Are you having trouble? Yes, the girl said. I can't quite make up my mind because there are so many. Well, the teacher said, Tell us what you have and maybe we can help you. The young girl hesitated and then began to read her list. The seven wonders of the world are to see, to hear, to touch, to taste, to feel, to laugh, and to love. The room got so quiet you could hear a pin drop. The things we so often overlook are simple and ordinary. So often they are the things we take for granted and are truly wondrous, it seems that most Precious things in life cannot be built by hand or purchased by mankind. The little girl was wise beyond her years. And here are some verses out of Isaiah 40. It's parts of a couple verses. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Were you not told long ago? Have you not perceived ever since the world began that God sits enthroned? Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Consider who created it all. This morning, for a theme verse, I'd like to read Psalm 34, verse 8. <clears throat> so out of the seven wonders that this girl listed, five of them were the five senses that God has given us. This morning, I'd like to focus on one of those senses, and that is found in Psalm 34. There's actually two, but I want to focus on the one. 
Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. So I'd like to focus on the word taste this morning. Now we started out really in the right way. Today is Father's Day, and if most of you remember back a month ago on Mother's Day, Eldon preached, and they had a gift for mothers. Does anyone remember what those gifts were? Do the children remember what the gifts were for your mothers? Kayla. Roses. Now, would you want to taste them, roses? Probably not. But you'd use a couple of your senses. You would use your smelling, and you'd use your sight. Today, what did the fathers get? <clears throat> Something you can taste, right? <laughs> so, I did not know that was going to happen. I actually thought about that and thought, nah, I'm not going to bring any beef sticks because Elton suggested it. But lo and behold, this morning was a vase of beef sticks. Um, but it's something that we can taste. So how do we taste and see that the Lord is good? Have you ever tasted God? Not physically anyway, right. Um, Psalm 119, 103, you don't have to turn to it. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So that is one way we can taste God. His words are sweet. In Jeremiah 15, verse 16, says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was with me, the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. So we can see, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I'm guessing most of us here can taste this morning. Um, one of the attributes, the bad attributes of COVID-19 was the loss of taste. And I don't know how many of you here lost your taste or had COVID-19, I was one of them. I became very thankful to get my taste back. Why do we eat? Do we eat simply because we need to eat? I think we eat because we can enjoy it also. God gave us a taste so we can not only just eat because we need the nutritions, the calories, or whatever it is, but he gave us taste so we can enjoy it. When I had COVID, I ate because I had to. It was not enjoyable because nothing tasted good. We knew what it was supposed to taste like and it didn't taste like that. It was a very big disappointment. The other thing about taste is we all grew up in different homes. We maybe grown up having our favorite food was different than this person's favorite food, but we have learned to like our favorite food. Sometimes when people get married, that's one of the biggest adjustments is, hmm, my mom didn't make it this way. Or one instance in our case, Hannah grew up, they had tomato gravy. I didn't, and I did not miss it. I did not see anything special about tomato gravy. So we do acquire different tastes, but yet God is always going to be sweet like honey. The other thing is we go to a different culture. They eat different things. They acquire a different taste than we do. When we lived in Kenya, 
um, it took a while for me to acquire the taste of the food that they eat. Now, I like French fries. I'm assuming most people here like French fries. Who doesn't? Um, but in Kenya, the French fries were very soggy and very greasy, and they weren't very good. And so we knew what they should taste like, or we thought we knew what they should taste like. We knew what they should look like. And I remember our first trip to Nairobi. Um, you're there for six months. Man, you're just ready to dig into a big juicy hamburger and some french fries. And we went to a restaurant, and they had a, the menu all backlit, and there was a plate, a basket or whatever pitcher of hamburger and french fries. And I couldn't wait to dig into this. Well, let's just say the pitcher was very deceiving. It was the same old dried up hamburger and the same greasy fries that I've had for six months prior. It was a very big disappointment. So I think that's where the oh taste and see, it's not just seeing it, it's also tasting it. It's being a part of what you're expecting. God is not gonna disappoint us like we're disappointed. Now, Eldon's not here to defend himself, so I'm going to speak another thing. When Eldon's came to visit us in Kenya, we went to a, on a safari. Well, there are, they serve you um, a meal, all the meals. It's all on a buffet. And I told Eldon, I said, they have very good food there, unlike some places you know, in Kenya that didn't maybe have the best food. But there they have very good, I said, they have good meat. Well, Eldon went through... And he sat down to eat, and I guess I was the one that painted the wrong picture on this one, I guess, because he sat down to eat, and he said, I think you forgot what good meat was like. So God has given us a taste to enjoy, but yet we can also taste God and use our taste not just for our physical attributes, but for spiritual attributes. And i got three things I would like to put taste under, if you're keeping notes, three different categories or three different menus. But the first one is provision. God gave us taste for his provision. Turn with me to Genesis 1, verse 29. Genesis 1, 29. And God said... See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for it shall be for food. So God provided everything for us. In that provision, he made good. Now there are times when people take things that are God made for good, and they turn it into something that's not so good. But God has provided for us. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Now we know that God provided everything for us. But we also know that Adam and Eve sinned, and there was also a curse put on the ground. It says here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground for your sake. 
In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you, you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Verse 17 here says, In toil you shall eat of it. Verse 18 says, Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And verse 19 says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. I think all of us have experienced that curse. Thinking of taste right now. How many of you like strawberries? Taste good to you? How many of you like to pick strawberries? Now why? It takes toil, doesn't it? It's back-breaking work. But if someone gave you strawberries, that'd be great because we like the taste of it. But we don't maybe like the labor that requires. Because strawberries do take toil. Um, if it's a hot morning, it's going to be by the sweat of your brow that you're going to pick strawberries. That's just one example. In our particular patch, we even have thorns and thistles in the strawberry patch too. So we have to deal with that. Um, I did not plant them there. Nobody planted them there. They just came. So God has provided, but God also made that we have to work in order for us to taste what his provision was. The next is in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, verses 11 to 15. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So we see here that God provided food for the Israelites. He provided food that tasted good, even though after a while they got tired of manna and quail. I think they were the same as we would be today. We would get tired of it pretty quick. So God provides. Secondly, why does God want to, for us to taste and see him? Secondly is his fellowship. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. Deuteronomy 12, 17 and 18. You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil of the firstborn of your herd or your flock of any of your offerings which you vow of your free, off free will offerings or of the heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter your male servant and your female servant, and the Levites, Levite who is within your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God 
in all to which you put your hands. So God wants not only for us to taste, he also wants our fellowship. He wants us to eat in his presence, not just anywhere, but in his presence. Secondly, in Psalm, I'm going to read Psalm 34, 8 again. It says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And I think that's where the fellowship comes in, in that we trust in him. God doesn't just want to provide us with food and we walk away with it. He wants our fellowship. In Luke chapter 14, Reading verses 15 through 24. Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time To say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to, to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to his servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of these men who were invited shall taste my supper." So here is a parable of a man that made a great supper. And I'm going to call this great supper a banquet. How many of you like to go to banquets? You like to go to banquets because of why? Just for the food and the fellowship. If it was just for the food, there would be no reason to invite everybody. There would be no reason to make it look fancy. But it's for the fellowship. And I think here, God has prepared a banquet for us. Not just because of the food, but it's because of the fellowship. God wants us to also fellowship. The third one is God wants us to taste and see as a reminder. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. I know I've got you flipping back and forth in the Bible quite a bit this morning, but I hope you can follow along with me. Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 to 14. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. 
Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Generations, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. God created the Passover as a reminder of his protection over us. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verses 14 through 19. It says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So God instituted not only the Passover, but the communion as a reminder of his sacrifice for us. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, this is a little bit longer of a reading, from verse 26 to verse 58, and then I'll also read verse 63. John chapter 6, verse 26. Then Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the foods, food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent his, set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do, that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the, in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I shall lose, lose nothing, but shall raise it up in the la at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, 
Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, that I sh shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And then moving on to verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you our spirit and they are life. So we can taste and see who God is. In fact, he says here, if we do not taste him, we will not live. Verse 27 tells us that we should labor for food which perisheth not. And then verse, verses 32 to verse 35 the Father gives us the true bread. Jesus is the bread of life so that we never hunger and never thirst. And verse 57 says, We need to feed on Jesus to truly live. And then I read 63 because I like it so well. It says, The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Um, very fitting. So we need to feed on Jesus, because he's a reminder to us of what he's done for us and who he is. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read the first 10 verses and expound on them, and then after that I'm going to read the latter part of the chapter. But in these first 10 verses, I think it has all three of those attributes of provision, of fellowship, and of a reminder. Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 10. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, 
And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know from the mouth of the Lord. No, I'm sorry, I got the wrong line. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flows out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of those hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten, eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Verse 2 says that God will lead you to humble you and test you. I think that's a reminder that he has given to us. Verse 7 says the Lord is bringing you into a good land. That's his provision. Verse 10 says you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. That's his fellowship. Now, I would like to read the last 10 verses in Deuteronomy 8. Verse 11 starts out, it says, beware. When we think of taste, we have all kinds of things that we enjoy over others. Um, there are certain foods that taste good that do not agree with us. Probably we've eaten them once and we'll not eat them again. We may like the taste, but they do not feel good in our stomach, so we don't eat them again. And maybe that's where this beware comes in. While God has given us taste, he's provided, he wants our fellowship, he wants it as a reminder. He also doesn't want us to indulge and forget who he is. So, starts out in verse 11, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which, I, statutes which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you remembered, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, 
that he may establish his covenant with which he swore to your fathers to get as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. So God not, God not only provides, he wants our fellowship and he wants us to remember and not forget who is the provision of what we have. In closing, <clears throat> I chose a song this morning and I had, did not even think of how this would pertain. And for you that have been here for a while, you probably know that one of my favorite songs is 370 and you probably groan when I even give a song out. Um, I'd like to, if you want to turn to 370 in your songbooks, the one line that really stood out to me this morning, which I guess I had a little bit more insight than you what was going to come. In verse, the first verse, the second line says, Thou hast saved and cleansed and filled me, that I might thy channel be. And if I could just reword that and say, Thou hast provided, Thou hast given fellowship, and Thou hast given us reminder that I might Thy channel be. I don't know, I know we sang it once this morning, I think it'd be appropriate to sing it again. So, in closing, we'll sing song 370. I'm going to sit down, then, Norman, you can come up afterwards.